You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 61 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I'm joined by special guest, Kaylor Betts. Kaylor is a rising star in the mental health space with a growing following and a hard-hitting, buzzworthy podcast, The Mental Wealth Podcast. Kaylor is a contrarian and holds no punches when speaking out against mainstream opinion. Kaylor faced his mental health challenges head-on and tackled his lifelong history with anxiety and depression. He has taken a deep dive into studying human optimization and has created a brand around mental wealth. Working with clients around the world, he has changed thousands of lives and is only getting started. Kaylor is a force to be reckoned with. Fueled by adversity, he is relentless in his passion to change lives and help us all understand how to live life beyond what we ever thought was possible. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Kaylor. Thank you so much for having me. Gosh, is that bio? Did we write that, or is that yeah. your bio? No, no that, okay. you wrote that. <laughs> I, I was gonna. Give, I was like, if you if you wrote that, I'm like mad mad credit. I'm I'm stealing that because that was uh, that was good. No, I think um, D, who I have been exchanging yeah. emails with, who's absolutely fantastic. Um, she sent that to me. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read it. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm excited to see what we get into. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to just start off the conversation by you sharing with our listeners a little bit about your history and how you got into this space. Yeah, I got into this space through pain. I got into this uh, space through a breakdown, you know, and I often say we have to go through a breakdown to go through a breakthrough. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I was sick for most of my life up until the last well, quite a few years, uh, I battled with not only my uh, mental health, uh, that was kind of the primary suffering that I endured was with my mental health. But as I'm sure you know, they're very uh, correlated and connected. So I also struggled with my physical health, nothing too crazy, but just enough. I think the worst was that I just felt like I had like, I thought I had chronic fatigue, Mm. where it was just so hard to get out of bed. I always had brain fog. I just, it just felt like a, felt like I was walking through life and there was a fan blowing in front of me, Mm. right? Every decision I made, every action I took was just that much harder. Every emotion I had to deal with was just that much more difficult. So I was just so tired all the time. I just knew I wasn't thriving. And, you know, I, I had some physical ailments like, you know, eczema. I got psoriasis outbreaks and, chronic ocular migraines that would come uh and yeah and and some digestive stuff allergies and really it just got to a point where and i don't know what it really was even to this day I, i would probably accredit it to sports but there was something innately in me that just made me realize that it can't it, it shouldn't be like this. And it's my observation that many people are walking around in society right now who feel either the ailments that I just listed, they just feel like shit or they have ailments. 
maybe different ailments. And they just think that they got drawn a bad hand. They just think that for whatever reason, this is like bad luck and this is just supposed to happen. And I just didn't think that way. I thought, no, there's no way. And I went and saw Western clinical professionals and really all they offered me was medication. It was, it was really, and I'm not saying that this is always the experience, I suppose, but uh, they had next to nothing to offer me except for, you know, medication. I just thought like, I'm, I don't think I have to take a pill to feel good. Mm. So then I went on my own journey. I just took ownership and I took it into my own hands and I studied human optimization. I, you know, I got certifications, I got ed- education, really into nutrition, really into physical uh, fitness and movement. Then I got into holistic lifestyle stuff. And then I just realized how much mindset has to do with everything. So I got into studying psychology, philosophy, um, the subconscious mind, our belief systems, how they're shaping our external world. And here we are today. I, I can honestly say that I don't have it all figured out, but boy, nine, nine days out of 10, uh, I wake up and I just feel incredible. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, like you said that, um, so many people wake up and they just think that this is normal. Or, you know, what's even worse is that this is a normal part of aging and it absolutely isn't right. You look in blue zones and, and there's a lot of people that do not experience what you just listed, but those things are so common in um, North America in particular. You've talked about how you changed your diet. You've mentioned Mm -hmm. that and I'd like to know what exactly you did because you said this switch and changing your diet really gave you a lot of clarity. So can you explain what you did and how it impacted you? Yeah. So I'm probably not going to get really into the specifics. And the reason being is because we'd have to designate and not only an entire podcast, but we'd have to probably designate like an entire weekend on, you know, like all the complexities of it. And I, I think it's actually kind of almost, you know, potentially even, I think dangerous is hyperbolic, but I think it, I'm just going to use it for lack of a better term. I think it can be kind of dangerous to just do a blanket statement of like, I did this, this is what I did. These are the foods I ate. And then it's like, well, there's not enough context there. There, There's so much to what I did, Mm -hmm. but I will say this because I like to be practical and I like people to, um, to uh, be able to take away things and actionable takeaways to me or everything in a podcast like this. But so what I did was I tried everything. I tried, like I tried keto, paleo. I tried, I was vegan for a year, you know, high carb, low carb. I tried all the cleanses and detoxes. I tried fasting. I, I did everything and fasting actually, you know, made me feel pretty good. And it was very interesting to me Um, I tried fasting later on the journey, like a lot of these diets and things that I did and approaches made me feel better, but I still like had these lagging symptoms. So I thought, okay, if I remove processed foods, that's the one thing that everything had in common, every diet I tried, everything I did that made me feel better. I, I removed processed foods. So I'm like, okay, that's where we can probably, it's safe to say that everyone should strive to remove processed foods if they want to live their highest quality of life and health. So, um, so there was that. And then I tried fasting kind of later on in the journey. And I just remember feeling 
incredible by like, you know, I felt like shit at first. And then I felt a lot better after a while. And that was really interesting to me. I'm like, hmm, I've never went my entire life with an extended period of time without eating. And uh, again, if you're going to try fasting, if you're listening to this, make sure you do your research. For example, if you're already stressed or, you know, going through which most of I think the population is, you got to be careful with with fasting. So don't just do it blindly, pick up a really good book with a highly credible person who follows research about it and read it and then try it and do it properly, see if it's right for you. But I tried it. And it made me feel really good. And it was just really a wake up call to me that was like, hmm, when I remove all foods, I feel incredible. So what that told me more than anything, it didn't mean that I should fast for the rest of my life because that's for obvious reasons. We need nutrients. But it told me that there's there must be something I'm eating that's wreaking havoc on my biology and causing me not to feel good. Then I started learning about the gut and I was like, oh, I think my gut doesn't really uh, have a healthy environment. And then I learned that 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. And I, I really felt it just was a gut instinct, pun intended. Um, it was a gut instinct that I just felt like I was lacking in serotonin. And that's exactly what the doctor prescribed me was SSRIs, right? Yeah. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors to just regulate my serotonin. So, and I felt anxious and depressed all the time. So it was like, I gotta be, you know, lacking in the serotonin department. So I thought, Hmm, well, okay. If fasting, if I take away foods and I start to feel better, well, it, there's a high chance and a high likelihood that my body is producing. It's, it's almost allowing my body to produce uh, well, a healthier gut environment, which then allows to, me to produce more serotonin. And, uh, so what I did was I said, okay, well, I can't fast all the time. And then I started to hear about elimination protocols, right? Where you could eliminate foods and you could be as close to fasting as possible without actually fasting with being able to get nutrients. And there are certain foods in our, as I'm sure, you know, that are very likely there's foods that are very highly likely or have the highest chance of us being sensitive to, or that might wreak havoc on our biology or our gut. You know, this could be anything from like gluten or, you know, good portion of the population is sensitive to dairy or like nightshade vegetables, you know, eggs. like there's eggs, nuts, yeah, seed, yeah. like there's other, there's all these foods. And I just removed, you know, pretty much all of those and really stuck with a lot of foods that were just kind of like way less likely to trigger my, my biology. And I did it. And Lena, like, honestly, it, within four days, it was like the light switch turned on. I was like, holy shit, like my anxiety was, and look, I'm not promising that everyone who does this is going to experience the same thing. But for me, drastic, mm. drastic initial within four days reduction of things that I chronically dealt with my entire life. And then I just kept doing it, doing it, fine tuning, adding all the other stuff. And, you know, here I am today. I just, I, I don't even, I'm literally a different person. Wow. it's crazy. And if I eat like gluten, sorry, one more thing. Like if I eat gluten, for example, like I can get away with one meal and feel okay. But if I eat gluten, like 
a couple meals. And this is just one example of foods. There's more foods that I'm sensitive to, but I'm a different person. Like I, I literally get sad. Mm-hmm. I get anxious. I'm moody. Um, I don't think people realize how much food contributes to their ailments and their health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. You know, the thing with the gluten, it's very interesting because the proteins in gluten, they, they cause uh, an enzyme called zonulin to be released and zonulin affects the tight junctions in our intestines. And if those tight junctions become open, which I mean, zonulin also is activated when we eat something that we shouldn't and it causes us to have diarrhea, which is a defense mechanism, it's protective, but it's triggered also when we eat gluten. And so it can cause those tight junctions to open up and leaky gut. And that's why gluten is associated with depression in some people. So it's definitely, um, I'm also not, not celiac, but every time I eat gluten, like my joints hurt so bad. Um, I, and it's all has to do with the gut. So you know, like, um, I'm also not about making blanket statements, but if, if you're struggling with mental health, um, food should definitely be a kind of first line of defense and an elimination diet is, um, a very, very helpful strategy for a lot of people. Totally. And look, um, the proper elimination protocol. I mean, if, if someone were to just Google elimination protocols, a lot of them don't make sense. It, you know, a lot of them, when you look at them, it's like, well, why would you remove this, but not that? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. And so just know that these things are complicated. I know that might be frustrating for someone listening, like Kayla, I want to know exactly what you did. And it's like, yeah, it's the blanket statement. That's a little tough. Um, but find a professional you know, I, I put people through this elimination protocol and then I, I suppose this is a shameless plug. I honestly don't mean to, to do it this way, but cause I don't care. Talk to talk to uh, Lena here, like talk to anyone who you trust and talk to and feel like they know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, all these things are, are low risk. Right. And, and I, I get some shit from people who say like, you know, like, and maybe not on the nutrition side of things, because that's, uh, I've been doing that a long time, but with, with everything and, and they just say, oh, you don't have the credibility or the credentials to, to do this just because I don't have, you know, like academic formal education. And it's like, well, number one, these are the fundamental basics of health. And all these things are very low risk. Like, you know, even if you're not sensitive to gluten or your body tolerates it, okay. Or dairy or whatever, you cut these things out, you're still going to be healthier. It's not, there's no risk to these things, right? So it's about risk and reward. And we're not talking about anything crazy. When you get into things like fasting and stuff, you got to be careful, right? That can cause a lot of hormonal dysregulation. If you're not, you know, it's a form of stress, right? Mm -hmm. So if you add stress to an already stressful state uh, in terms of where your body's at, well, that might not do a whole lot of good. And it's all about your highest quality of life. So I'm not saying everyone needs to cut out processed foods or do what I do. It's just, but if you're not thriving, then you got to start trying these things. You know, it's as simple as that. And Hey, if you're thriving and you can genuinely without being in denial, say that you're living your highest quality of life and you're eating burgers every day, well, as long as you're aware of the long-term potential consequences and you're okay with that and you've come to terms with that, look, I want people to live their highest quality of life. That's all that matters to me. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, just on the qualification front, um, half of my university degree, I could have looked up on Google. I I'm not even kidding. <laughs> it's funny, you and I have both had uh, Zuby on our podcast. And he's coming back on my podcast to talk about why university is not all it's cracked up to be. And uh, it's, it's a real thing. Like it is a real thing. People could, they're better off getting a trade. Well, it, it's really refreshing to hear that from someone who has academic um, formal education, because you have a strong bias to like, it's in your best interest technically um, to use cognitive dissonance and to just convince or justify why this makes me superior and you don't. So that gives me a lot of respect for you because it, it's not convenient for you to say that your university degree wasn't all it's cracked up to be, but yet you're, you're objectively saying the truth, right? It's similar to like maybe a doctor who's coming out right now and saying the realities of COVID and everything that's going on. I respect the hell out of them because it's also not convenient for them. It makes them less of a hero in all this. It makes them less useful in all this when they admit that a lot of this actually has to do with metabolic health you know, and all of the restrictions and everything we're doing are just overstep and overreach of the government, you know, so forth and so on. I just have a lot of respect for people who can inconveniently admit the objective truth. It's been a, it's been a struggle going through my university education as a, a 32 year old woman and to just, it's outrageous, but it's a means to an end. It's a, it's a box you need to check in order to call yourself something. Um, and you don't even need to check that box. Like, I think those days are, you, you really don't. You know, when my, my clients ask me for credentials, like, do you have a psychology degree? Do you have a nutritional sciences degree? Like, whatever they ask me to have, uh, number one, I just say, well, if you're going to need that, that's completely fair and that's your right, but I'm not the coach for you. Number two, to me, what is most important is social proof. And I have a lot of social proof and, you know, I have a lot of people who I've helped and, you know, going back to the fundamentals of health or the fundamentals of even psychology or mindset or, or philosophy, you know, and physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, going back to the basics, it turns out that, holy shit, we, we end up transforming our life. And that's what I did with my life. I literally just like took ownership of my life and I started doing the right things in theory. That's really easy. So for me as a coach, it's actually not super hard to objectively look at someone's situation and say, this is what you need to do. It's really hard for them to go out and execute it because they have all the bullshit in the way they have all these emotions and biases and fear and self-doubt and limiting beliefs. And I just have to help them work through that and kind of like help them navigate through that to like actually help them go out and, and put their head down and get it done. So that, that's all it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, you cannot underestimate um, experience when you're dealing with clients and you can study as much as you want. And I'm telling you right now, a, a university degree in psychology does not bring in nutrition and fitness and spirituality. It's very, very one dimensional. Yep. And so the, and, and it doesn't even bring into experience. So the fact that you have experience and then you study this and then you study this and then you study this, like you, you can't, you can't get that in a university setting. It just is, it's forced. It's a lab, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of 
biases that come in. I mean, like, like there's the government has a hand in curriculum, unfortunately. So I, I do believe that there's an agenda in, in, in many cases that, you know, they're trying to push in curriculum and also curriculum takes a long time to change, right? It takes so long to change. We update nutrition is like constantly being like what I believed, and I'm sure you're the same way, like what, what we all believed in the nutrition world and everyone has their differences and opinions, I suppose. But a lot of the things that we believed even five years ago in nutrition are like completely different now flipped on its head. And especially like 10 years ago, oh my oh, gosh, yeah. like it's insane. And, you know, curriculum and textbooks just don't change that fast. So like, if you're in mark, I'm sorry, but if you're in even marketing is a really good marketing might be the best example. Nutrition's an excellent example. Like if you're learning these in a formal education, academic, like out of a textbook kind of thing, you're learning archaic principles in, in each of those realms. You really just are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. seemingly archaic like they're not they're not that old but like they they seem old based on how fast these industries are moving mm-hmm. yeah i could go on for days about everything that's wrong with university but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty different podcast so <laughs> when you're working with clients what are some of the key areas of concern that come up for them that you're kind of seeing consistently yeah. So I think that the biggest thing that holds people back and, and my biggest job, first off, I care about one thing and one thing only when I work with clients, it's their highest quality of life. That's what they care the most about. That's what I care the most about. And that's going to look different for everyone. So I don't come in and I don't give a blanket strategy for everyone because everyone has unique individual needs and desires and wants. So highest quality life. And then we look at, okay, well, what causes highest quality of life or what cultivates highest quality of life. And I believe it's two things. I think we're all looking for two things, peace and purpose. I think we all need inner peace and we all need purpose and inner peace, you know, might be to some people, the only thing you need, but it only goes so far, right? I mean, even a Buddhist monk has to come out of their caves and do some shit eventually. Like you got to have purpose. You got to go out and have a mission. So if those are the two things we're looking for, and most people I talk to agree that like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Then it's like, okay, well, we got to look at what's robbing people of their inner peace and purpose or what's blocking them or what do they need to be doing more of, or maybe what do they need to let go of? And here's, I think what holds people back the most is we, have you ever heard of the paradox of choice, Lena? No, I haven't. The paradox of choice is, so the paradox is something that you would think it's one way, but it's actually the other. The paradox of choice is you would think that the more options, opportunities, and choices that someone has, the more likely they are to take action and to succeed. But it's actually the opposite. The more opportunities, options, and choices we have in front of us, the less likely we are to take action and to succeed. This is why when you go to Costco, they only have one type of toilet paper or maybe two you go to buy jam and they only have one jam because they know that you're more likely to take action and buy something if you have less. Right. So I believe that this is one of the biggest things that's holding people back in their growth in health, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. They are bombarded with things 
that they should be doing to help their health. And it doesn't help their progress. It really doesn't. Here's the thing. Like even on this podcast, it's one of the reasons why I didn't want to really get into the specific details because, you know, people will hear it and they'll try it and it, they won't get all the context. They'll be missing some things. Then they might write it off because it might not work like how it's supposed to. And then they're on to the next thing and they're listening to the next podcast and they're trying the next, you know, concept or idea. And we just bounce around from thing to thing to thing, or we have a list of 10 different things we're trying and we dilute our efforts. So here's what I do is I find the game changer goals for people. And a game changer goal is it's a goal or a problem that we solve that when you accomplish it or solve it, every other aspect of your life falls more easily into place. Every single aspect of peace and purpose grows. And everyone has them. Everyone has the one, two, or three things that if they just focused on that one thing initially, everything would change. And this is how our subconscious mind works. It only cares about your safety and survival and comfortability. So if you do too big of a shift and you change all these things, this is what happens in the new year and you do a radical shift, you might be able to do it for a little bit. And then the subconscious mind freaks out and you sabotage and you go right back to where you were before, because it loves that familiar pattern. It's literally survival Mm -hmm. to your subconscious. So here's what we do. We just pick one, two, maybe three things, big things, like, like, doesn't mean that it has to be overwhelming. And usually it's, what do we remove at first? And you wouldn't believe guys, you got to look deep and find, and this is, I suppose, why having a coach is good. Cause I'm really good at asking the right questions and identifying them, but it might be like alcohol. Like you wouldn't believe how many people, if they just removed alcohol and reset that not forever, but for the next 90 days or 60 days, they don't realize that their brain fog will go away, that they'll have an easier time waking up in the morning, which is a chain reaction. They'll actually get a workout in, in the morning. So they'll feel better producing more serotonin, reduce anxiety. We all know that when we drink alcohol, it's way harder to stay on top of our eating. So then their eating gets better, right? Their physiology gets better. They all of a sudden don't have headaches anymore. They're in a better mood. So their relationship with their mom has improved, right? Like it's, it's, it's like, we got to find those game changer things. What's that one, two or three things. And everyone's got them. And I truly believe that there is like one, two or three core blocks and challenges and problems that everyone has, that if they just focused on those in the beginning, it would change everything. So I identify everyone's unique situation and I look for the game changer goal. It might be an elimination diet for me. That's what it was, right? It could be quitting your job. I was going to say what happens, and this probably has come up for you, um, a lot working with a lot of people. What happens when it's relationships or family relationships? Yeah. Good question. And just a note, don't forget that everything we want is peace and purpose. We, they're like two buckets that we need to fill in our life. So you got to look at when it comes to those game changer goals, reverse engineer, what's blocking the peace and the purpose the most. It's like the 80, 20 thing. Like find the 20% that's going to move the needle forward 80% of the way. 
Now, when it comes to relationships, yeah, these are a tricky one because when it comes to relationships, there's so much survival instincts. We have so many survival instincts and mechanisms in our psychology that <laughs> make us not want to have any of our relationships be volatile. Because for most of human history, if we lost people, it was really like life or death. Or if we didn't get accepted by the people around us, <clears throat> we were thrown to the wolves. So we're working against our psychology in that one. And we have a lot of fear of abandonment, rejection. Oftentimes that might have happened in your childhood. You might have been rejected. You might have been abandoned or ignored or didn't get the love, care and attention that you wanted. So then that's a wound and that's highly emotional. So that causes some trauma that gets stored within the subconscious. And then your subconscious wants to do everything to avoid that going forward. It's trying to protect you for the rest of your life. So then you shut yourself off of situations or you might have a hard time breaking up with someone and leaving them because what if I'm alone and I don't want to be alone and I'm afraid to be alone. So when it comes to relationships, I mean, really the biggest thing is giving people Actually, I'll step back. It's affirming to people that they can let go of relationships that aren't serving them and they're going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, and that's it. Or it's again, going back to that objective view that I have on the situation, I can ask the right questions to bring up the answer, let's say they're with like a, a relation, like an intimate romantic relationship that isn't serving them. And they're not with the right person that's going to serve their highest quality life. I don't tell them what to do. I ask the right questions. And then it brings the answer, it clears the bullshit. And it brings the answer that's already within them to the surface so they can see it. And it's now exposed. And they're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I can't. I just had one last week with with someone like I, I have those conversations often and then it's about me affirming to them that hey you can end this and number one you're gonna be okay you're gonna be safe you're worthy of doing this you need to do this for your highest quality of life and you got this like and I'm gonna be here for you I'm I'm a message away we're gonna we're gonna get through this together kind of thing mm -hmm. um so that, that, that would be if someone is needing to end or leave some sort of relationship. And it could be with your mom. It could be with anyone. It doesn't have to be with romantic or intimate. Or sometimes people are in a relationship where they're actually the problem. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but they're the ones that actually need to step up, take ownership and do some communicating and need to make things right and focus on what they can control right like it's all situational i think a good coach will be able to again not tell you what to do but kind of help you expose the objective truth and then affirm to you that you can take action on it help you come up with a strategy and then be there for you throughout the whole process mm -hmm. You know, you bring up this message of safety, and it's definitely one that I have talked about at length. Um, you know, when we're dealing with things like chronic pain, um, the message of safety, right? Like our body develops pain as a safety mechanism. And then when pain becomes chronic, it's actually your brain saying, I need to be safe. I need to be safe. So all of these different things come up and it could be rage aggression, depression, whatever, pain, 
migraines and it's all of this feeling of safety. Do you notice this a lot with clients, this over kind of arching theme of safety that, that comes up for them? That they feel unsafe yeah. or yeah. Well, I think, look, I, I think that we are, we are riddled with pain we are riddled with a couple of things I've noticed just riddled. I mean, just in general, like society and in, in general is riddled with their body communicating to them that something needs to change. <laughs> right. Like, you know, I had a client who had a panic attack the other day and, you know, they were quite distraught and they were like, I haven't had one in a long time. And, you know, they were, they were wanting to kind of run away from it and they were resisting it. And they were saying, how do I get away from this? And I said, no, you need to lean into it. This mm -hmm. is telling you something. This is your body saying like something needs to change. Like this is happening for you, not to you. Right. And that helps with that is when we don't try and resist because as Seneca says, what we resist persists. So we, um, we need to understand that it's just communicating and, and it means that we got to do something different. And it, it is a call for safety. Um, and then the other thing too, is we're also riddled with irrational fear. So we think that we're unsafe often, at least that's how the body and the physiology treats it or your nervous system treats it is like, like when you get on a plane, if someone's afraid of flying, which I was for many years, um, you know, like, your your physiology your 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 nervous system doesn't know that this is one of the safest forms of travel it literally thinks that you're risking death right now and your psychology does right so we have to really i have to work on with people and i've worked on this in my life is there's such a difference between danger and and fear right and you have to every time you get fearful which would be emotional pain like it's uh it's painful it's suffering to to be fearful if in many situations and you have to ask yourself am i actually in danger or is this just fear that's coming up and i'm perceiving this as danger but it's actually irrational and that's a big part of my work as well too um i guess all of this to say um one of the fundamental principles that I work on with my clients is to be more conscious and aware. Most people will live and die their whole lives being in basically 95% of the time an automatic computer program that they're not even aware of. Their thoughts, their ideas, their emotions, their actions are going to be all this subconscious program and pattern that they run off of. Some people will wake up and become conscious of their unconscious programs and realize that they hold the keys to reframe and recondition and reprogram that pattern. And that's where I'm at. And that's where I teach my clients to get at and be a thought detective and like see what's really running the show and realize that we can actually change all of that. It takes repetition. It takes practice and conscious awareness, but that's a big part of what I do. I like that thought, thought detective, because that's yeah, what I it have, is. I, I have to give, um, I think that comes from Dr. Nicola Para. 
So I have to give her credit on that. Yeah, I love that. One more question about clients. Do you find that one of those core kind of issues is unresolved trauma from childhood? Well, I think that it all, it almost all stems down from that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I was walking down the street. I was in, where was I? I think I was in Vancouver. No, I was in Victoria. <clears throat> Not that it really matters, but this was, you know, within the last year and I was walking down the street and you know how like people are usually a part of like uh, charities or something. And, and they're like, it's like, they're coming up to you like, Hey, how you doing, man? Like, and then they want to, you know, make their pitch of why you should give them their money. Um, and this guy came up to me when I walked out of a store and he says, Hey, do you know what the number one cause of poverty is? <laughs> and my answer, I just kind of paused and I turned back at him and I just said, yeah, I do. And he says, what is it? And I said, it's, childhood trauma (laughs) i don't know if i said unresolved but that would have been the way to put it unresolved childhood trauma i mean look our beliefs that we've developed our conditioning as a child first it starts off with emotion emotion happens we feel an emotion and it it's either a strong emotion or a subtle emotion, but those get stored in our subconscious. The stronger they are, the more they get, and the more negative they are because of our negativity bias, the more they get stored in the subconscious. And then we have to create a belief around that. We have to make sense of what just happened. And I like to say that beliefs are just a story that we tell ourselves about how the world works and who we are as a person. So you develop this belief and if, if the emotion was very traumatic or even just a little bit traumatic, well, now you've made a belief whenever that happened, chances are it probably happened in childhood because that's when we're the most like formulative and that's when we're the most impressionable. And that's where most of our beliefs get developed. And then now you have a, like a wound, right? And you, you create this belief around it. And oftentimes these beliefs they, they act to protect us. And for most of human history, they did a pretty good job of that. But now we live in this like really different environment, right? Where like, we're safe almost all the time. Like 99.9% of the time, we are like extremely safe. And these beliefs that are trying to protect us from these wounds that we got in our childhood, they make us or they often stop us from doing, or they make us do the wrong thing, right? The thing that actually doesn't contribute to our happiness, that they actually make us do what we subconsciously think is going to keep us alive and safe. And that might not always be our highest quality of life. So yeah, it's, it's everything, but here's the thing. It's one thing to become aware of that trauma. Like I'm just going to call a spade a spade because I I made a commitment that I'm not going to filter myself. I think therapy has its use. Um, I really do. And I think there's great therapists out there. I mean, I just mentioned Dr. Nicola Perra. I mean, I, I, she's a therapist. I got, well, she's a holistic psychologist. That's the thing, right? Like if you don't take a holistic approach, I think you're, you're pretty narrowly scoped and sure. Maybe it's a piece of the puzzle, but I just find a lot of people 
they sit in front of a therapist and sure, okay, they dive into their childhood, they find and become aware and conscious of what that trauma is. And then it's like, okay, that's step number one. I think it is important to be aware of it. And I think it's important to honor and acknowledge that trauma. And that's step number one. But then what are we going to do about it? Because sitting around and talking about it all day, I don't know. I've never seen that work. Never seen that heal anyone or transform anyone's life. So again, going back to the credentials thing, people can say I'm not, you know, credible enough to be doing this work just because I don't have a degree, but I have psychologists as clients. <laughs> I work with some of these people, right? Like it, it's about, I think we heal through going out, being conscious and aware of these patterns and conditioning and wounds and beliefs, but then we have to work on being conscious of them. And that's where they're malleable. That's where we can change the narrative. Um, and a big part of how we change the narrative is going out and taking action, interrupting that pattern and doing the right thing consciously. And we underestimate how much action and doing things and getting our life together, doing the right things, doing the things we should uh, be doing. We underestimate how much that actually can help with trauma and reframe and reprogram all of those beliefs that are unresolved. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to agree with you. I mean, I have some fairly severe trauma that I went through when I was a child just with uh, sexual abuse. And I saw multiple psychologists and one of them was quite helpful, like much later on in life after I got married and things resurfaced as, as they do when you're in a relationship. But I have to be honest, I got more insight from this crazy experience I had with a cranial sacral massage therapist and did body work. I'm not kidding. Like this woman, I didn't tell her anything. And she put her hands on my womb and said, and she said, there's something stuck here. I was like bawling. And after that, like I got out, I told my husband, like, I don't know what just happened, but like, I, I feel a thousand times lighter. And it was like, do you know what I mean? And and it was just a, a space that was created to feel safe, to acknowledge something. But then there was like the body work to do, like to push things through. I know that sounds woo-woo. I can't explain it. It was, it was crazy and it worked. I don't know. And, and look, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people listening who have really great experiences with their therapist and I want everyone to know I'm not trying to shit on therapists. I'm I, really at the end of the day, I don't care what works. I don't care if it's woo woo. I don't care if it's a coach. I don't care if it's a therapist. You got to try. Look, I tried therapy for years, like literally years. I invested a ton of time, energy and money into it. And I don't know that it got me anything. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just been my experience, but there are people out there that go to therapy and look, if you tell me that you go into therapy and you're achieving your highest quality of life and they helped you, they helped you find those wounds and that trauma. And then you actually did have things you did about it. I'm all for that. I don't, I don't I'm not, I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. I'm, I'm just really saying that like, well, I suppose I, I'm biased and I'm saying that, you know, coaching or more, I think I'm more saying a holistic approach, I think is going to be superior. 
Okay. I'm not saying you're never going to get any value about there with therapy, but I think if you're going to find a therapist, my recommendation is find one that has a holistic approach because mm -hmm. it's a, such a narrow scope of work to, to only be doing what they got taught out of the textbook that they learned from and try it out. And if it works great, I'm, I'm literally happy for you. I, I don't care what you do. I care that you get where you want to be. And then if it doesn't work, try a coach or try a coach first and then try therapy. If it doesn't work, like try uh, cranial sacrotherapy, like is it, that's what it is, right? Cranial sacrotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so try all these things and look, we've, we've seen people transform their lives through therapy. We've seen people transform their lives through coaching. We've seen people transform their lives through the spiritual uh, practices. And we've seen people combine all and change their life. So it's like, you got to find what works for you and you got to do you. Yeah. And, and what I think you're saying too, is like therapy. Um, and like I said, I had a great therapist too. And I learned a lot. Um, I had no idea that I had PTSD and she's like, I can't diagnose you, but like you show all the classic symptoms, right? Like I had like outbursts of rage that were just uncontrollable. Um, so that was really helpful, right? Like after I had that knowledge, I didn't have an outburst again for like years. Um, but what I think you're saying is it's one aspect and that's what you mean when you're saying holistic, like ther therapy could be one aspect, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Um, I, I love what you said, like, it's one thing to know, but then you also have to take action as well. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're totally right. It's, um, it's about emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical. You have to, um, if, if you're missing one piece, you're missing out on the whole puzzle, mm. you know? So you, you have to kind of look at, at all those and you're probably going to resonate more with one thing. Like some people literally just are hyper-focused on their physical health and mm. it's a spiritual experience for them as well. It's, it helps with their mental health. You know, it helps with their emotional health. So you got to find your thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to find your thing. One more uh, question before we get into the fun questions. Um, well, before we end things, have you always been so politically outspoken? <laughs> and if not, when did you start? Oh, hell no. I, I definitely didn't. <laughs> um, I didn't really understand politics that well until, um, you know, I, I didn't understand politics until it started. I observed, or sorry, I should say that I, I wasn't into politics or I didn't learn much about politics until I actually saw that politics actually does have an effect on our, <clears throat> our lives. Right. And I was always the person to say, like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter who's in power. Like, I didn't even used to vote. I just was like, it doesn't matter. I don't want to be, you know, bitching about, you know, who's in power and stuff. And here I am today bitching about who's in power. <laughs> I think that, um, look, politics uh, are, we're, 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 we're in a volatile time right now. You know, humanity is very vulnerable, I think, right now. And um, and, and very volatile and there's division and everything. And I just think that my belief has changed there. There is, it is crucial who is leading, mm -hmm. uh, our countries at this point, because we're facing some really big problems. 
and it just matters. It's not everything. I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, you don't hand your power over your inner peace to an external factor. So like, no matter who's in power, we need to strive to be able to have inner peace. And we can't dwell too much on it and bitch and complain about it too much. That's not how we achieve a highest quality of life. However, we'd be in denial if we said it doesn't matter. And I think that almost like almost all of my political views got turned on their head. I used to think like, oh, I was this way or, oh, I believed that. And, and then I questioned everything like I do with everything in my life. I, I've, I've always been good at waking up and questioning. And then I question it. I'm like, oh, no, I actually uh, don't think that's what serves us collectively overall. So I, and then I got just really passionate about um, the politics world and i would be lying if i said that i also don't find it a source of entertainment as well too if, I, if i'm being completely honest well, <laughs> but I, I, I was sorry to cut you off just one sorry one last thing i just think that my message is that it is really important i think nowadays i urge everyone um to to educate yourself more about politics and really find out where you stand what you believe in what your values are and and make sure you go out and do everything you can to create a leader who aligns with those values mm -hmm. yeah i was going to ask you you know over the last two years um we share very similar beliefs um which we won't get into in this podcast but has it helped or hindered your mental health to post about things or has it done both depending on the time it's so funny i was just talking to a client about this the other day you know if i'm if i'm really looking at this subjectively if i'm really being transparent um my mental health has never been better than since covid started and it's so strange because i'm so angry at everything's going that's going on i i i sometimes you know, before I go to sleep, I sit there and I just think about all the, the way in which we've dealt with all this. It's just been horrible. And, and I want it to stop so badly, but I think it's also highly contributed to my mental health. And let me tell you why is because it's given me more purpose than I've ever had in my life. When I, we started this conversation with, there's two things, inner peace and purpose. Those are the two major factors that create our highest quality of life. And I've gotten an immense amount of purpose in fighting for freedom mm -hmm. and fighting for being an advocate of health, physical and mental health, which no one is talking about. And in a way, it's instilled this great sense of purpose in me. And in no way am I comparing myself to like a Martin Luther King or like a Gandhi or someone. But like if I could use them as an example um, I, I bet you they would have said the same thing. And, I, and I'm sure we could find examples nowadays as well in that when you advocate or you fight for something, it can just instill you with so much purpose that it actually contributes to your highest quality of life and your, your mental health. And it's this weird dichotomy that I'm in where I'm kind of like, yeah, at the end of the day, I want all of this to end. I mean, I'd be a horrible person to want these things to continue, but I couldn't. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't thinking the other day about like, well, when this does end, I might go through a little bit of a tough time because I'm going to have to now find purpose in something else. I'm going to have to find something else to fight for. Mm -hmm. 
right? And I also have to be really careful in that I don't get too caught up in that because I think some people use something like this for their own happiness or take advantage of a situation. And I'm very conscious of that. I don't want to, I don't want to just be the the COVID guy. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I, I, and that's why I still talk about mental health. I'm still passionate about this. This is my main thing, but I am advocating for it. And it, in a weird way, it's just given me a lot of purpose. I, I have something that I'm fighting for. I feel like I'm actually making a difference in, I, I get affirmed by a lot of people that I'm helping them throughout all this. So yeah, I hope that makes sense. It's, it's this weird thing where I, I, I can't wait till it ends. Like when all these things are crumbling and like all the restrictions are going away, I'm stoked. I'm like jumping up for joy and I'm like super happy. I, I'm coming back to Canada soon because of it. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I want all this, but it'll be interesting when it's all gone. I might have to kind of reframe and refocus on like, okay, what's my message now again that's really interesting yeah I never thought about that um I definitely have really appreciated your voice over the last couple years you've been a voice of reason as well um I don't I've just really appreciated how outspoken you've been and I think it's enabled other people to really stand up for what they believe in as well so thank you yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you've done over the last two years. And Alberta, I mean, can you just announce that um, vaccine mandates are no longer a thing? Yeah, but our mayor in Edmonton just—I heard that—announced that he's they're gonna do their own vaccine passport thing. It's just, yeah, it's gonna. I think we still have a long fight, but uh, it, I think it's slowly all gonna crumble and you know, you mentioned being outspoken and and that's the thing is I think I'm just really committed to now, whether it's COVID or not, there's so many injustices. There's so many things that need to change in terms of mental health and just society that we're doing so wrong that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. And if I got to be the one to talk about it and get a lot of hate for it, I'm totally cool with taking that role. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you at the beginning of it. I like was talking all about physical health and it's like we know that when viruses come along it's people with metabolic disease that get hit the hardest why aren't we talking about this like i was i was actually dumbfounded that we weren't talking about it and we're I still had, not talking we're about still it. not talking about it and i had like all of my gym co-workers unfollow me hundreds of people unfollow me for saying something like we need to focus on our health what a crazy idea hey and every other aspect of your life will get better but you're not allowed to talk about it yeah it's like a bad comedy like you just can't make this shit up can you it is it's it's a movie that we're in but hey we don't live in boring times and there's a part of me that is like you know there's a thin line between and actually the body what's happening in the body uh anxiety and excitement are in many ways are very similar in terms of the response the body has. So we can, if we practice it, we can very easily flow from excitement to anxiety. It's kind of like one of the tips I give people, this is what I did on a plane. If there's turbulence, instead of like having your focus be like, Oh my God, what if the wing breaks off? What if we crash? Whatever. Think about how exciting it is that you're, you know, 10,000 feet in the air, however much, and you're bouncing up and down and like, 
you might think, well, if you're afraid of flying, that's impossible, but it actually isn't, you know, I did reframe that. And it was like, now all of a sudden I felt excitement, right? Cause you have adrenaline and these things arouse us, these, these hormones. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's exciting times as well. Um, but I, I'm kind of in the mood for some boring times, to be honest. <laughs> okay. So before we end, I could uh, just have you on here and talk hours but i'm not going to keep you too much longer i always end with some fun questions if you were stranded on a desert island and could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life and nutrition didn't matter nothing mattered just like enjoyment what would you choose well (laughs) nutrition always matters um (laughs) to me i gotta pick two and i know this might sound crazy but it would be steak, ribeye steak, <laughs> and mangoes, dried mango. Interesting. Yeah. I've never gotten that response before. My favorites. Ribeye steak. Uh, you're an Albertan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How were you vegan for a year? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. It was many years ago. Uh, yeah, I was also vegan for a year. It destroyed my hormones. Okay. Yes. What is the best <laughs> what is the best meal you've ever eaten? The best meal I've ever eaten? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would say in <laughs> I don't know the name of this place, but I'm gonna stay with the steak train. I went to this steakhouse in vegas and i'm i wish i remembered what it was called but i've never ate a steak like it like it was about a hundred dollar steak actually i think it was eighty dollars us and it literally melted in my mouth like i was like is this even real steak like did they genetically modify something to like make it taste this good because it was like butter it was so good and i think just like a side of like mashed potatoes and some veggies or whatever but it was amazing amazing meat veg and potatoes not after my own heart what is your favorite restaurant well that's a tough one i I, because i don't really eat out a ton because i can't really order too much um but i would say okay again two answers i i never can give one answer but that's fine Number one, there's there's a place uh, here um, called uh, Fogo de Chao. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. There's there's locations all over the U.S. and it seems like every city I've been in here in the U.S. I can order a ribeye steak and they have like a really good ribeye steak and I'll just order it on Uber Eats and um, they they have a good and they don't put butter or oil on it so I can get it without like those industrial seed oils and. And whatnot it's just really good in terms of environment i actually i i hate to be kind of maybe basic but i i like cactus club anyone who's from like edmonton or calgary will know i i like that environment i like to to just go to cactus club and if i do have a drink or two vodka water or soda is what i have and sometimes going there with my friends is fun nice very nice what's your favorite travel destination you've been to Bali. Yeah. Bali is incredible. Bali is like a whole other world. Um, it's just so beautiful. Um, 
but I would say that the coolest, most adventurous place I've ever been was Bolivia. You know, it's one of the poorest places on earth. And I just, I have stories about that place, man. And it was an adventure. It's, it was, it's the only trip I've ever taken where I felt like I was on a legitimate adventure. I got tear gassed in a riot in the middle of the La Paz, uh, the capital city. Uh, We couldn't leave the city. We went to the, I rode down the world's most dangerous road on a car uh, or sorry, in a bus. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, it was, it was, a, we went to the salt flats, which seems like literally a different universe you're in. Like it, it was just such a cool place, but an adventure, not a vacation. Very cool. Very cool. What are your, what are some of your favorite books that you're reading right now? Uh, I like Dr. Joe Dispenza. So breaking the habit of being yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> is I love that title as well too. Um, the surrender experiment by Michael A. Singer. If you are someone who has any sort of noise in your brain, chatter in your brain, overthinking anxiety, do yourself a favor and pick up the surrender experiment by Michael A. Singer. Wonderful. What are some of your non-negotiable health practices? Uh, meditation specifically transcendental meditation this is what i do i don't i don't think there's like a superior meditation over over another meditation is meditation at working out and eating eating a not a restrictive diet because i can eat actually whatever however much i want i don't restrict calories i don't count calories i don't count macros i eat specific foods and I cut out a lot of foods because I know they don't serve me and I can eat as much as I want and I feel incredible. So. Wonderful. Oh, and actually maybe one that's cool that I'm just starting to do is taping my mouth at night. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I had a biological dentist on the last episode and we talked all about mouth breathing. Yo, mouth breathing is an issue. A hundred percent. So anyone listening, you can read James Nestor book, breathe, um, or breath. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I, I am all about nose breathing. This is like one of the biggest, most revolutionary things that's happening right now in terms of just physical health is, uh, maybe some people have known for a long time, but now this is starting to become widespread knowledge in the, in the health world. Mouth breathing is incredibly bad for you. And we got to start breathing through our nose. So one of the things you can do is tape your mouth at night. I just ordered some off Amazon and I can't wait. Oh, it's next level. And like, even if, if you're not down to tape your mouth at night, just like be conscious about breathing through your nose during the day, it will literally change your life. Yeah. It will change your life. People are like, my nose is always runny. I can't breathe through my nose. No, your nose is always runny because you breathe through your mouth. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. Love that you're doing that. What is the happiest moment in your life? You know, (laughs) it was probably, um, this is weird to say because, because it actually didn't end well, but I, I opened up a gym. I had a gym for five years and then I opened up like another location and it was a bigger location. It was like my dream location. There was like 10,000 square feet. It was two levels. It had massage Cairo. We had group 
classes. We had personal training. I had like a good amount of staff. I had hundreds of clients. It was amazing. And, you know, I'm a guy who didn't even graduate high school. So like, you know, my, my parents coming to this, my siblings and my friends and like everyone I knew was there. Everyone I cared about came to this grand opening that we had. And, and we had our clients come in and the music was pumping and we were doing group classes and we were popping champagne. And like, it was just one of those moments where I'm like, I'm like, I felt so significant. Like I felt like so validated that I could actually do something with my life and like, look at what I've done. And I put in all this hard work. Um, and then it's a whole other story because I woke up the next morning and uh, I realized I wasn't actually happy. Oh, wow. So I, I was doing it for the validation. That's, that's, mm. it's, that's why this is an interesting answer because like I was only doing it to prove to myself and all the people around me because I didn't even graduate high school. And I, I think me and people around me didn't think that I had much potential because that's how we're conditioned to believe if we don't graduate high school, we're not going to amount to anything. So then once I proved to myself that I was like, well, I don't, want to even do this anymore so then i stop and i'm like i can't do something just to validate myself i gotta actually genuinely enjoy what the hell i'm doing so then i transitioned out of that and that was a bit ugly and messy but here i am today i've built something that i genuinely enjoy doing and i don't need as much validation because i actually i i learned the hard way that i i should believe in myself wow wow and what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? The advice I would like to leave is what I said earlier. Understand that the only thing you should care about is your highest quality of life. Understand that the two things I think everyone are searching for and make sure these, this resonates with you is inner peace and purpose. Then I would find out what are the most game changing thing. What, what is like, don't overcomplicate it. You could do everything. It's like you could do read this book and study this concept and this TED talk and this podcast and meditate and eat healthy and work out and gratitude and journaling. Like it just never ends. Pick one or two or maybe even three core things. Is it alcohol? Is it a relationship you need to leave? Is it a job you need to leave? Is it a school you need to start? Is it whatever it is? Find out what that is. What's that 20% that's going to move the needle 80% and make a plan and relentlessly stick to it until you get feedback that you're not doing the right thing and you're either going to win and it's going to be the thing or you're going to learn. And that's a special thing. And that's how we transform our lives and our health. Wonderful. And where can people find you? Instagram. I'm all about keeping it simple. There's other places you can find me. Go to my Instagram, Kayla, or sorry, uh, the Kaler Betts. That's Taylor with a K. Uh, DM me on Instagram. Come, come say hi. Um, and then also you can check out the Mental Wealth Podcast. That's not Mental Health Podcast. That's the Mental Wealth Podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate the support. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure and honor having you share your wisdom with all of us.
Yeah. Thank you so much. And keep doing what you're doing. We need more platforms like this, pushing out this kind of messaging. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Well, you have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and please leave a five-star review if you like what you heard so we can get this message of better health out there. You can also find me on Instagram at whatthehealthlifestyle where I post fitness, nutrition, and mental health info each and every day. Make sure you stay tuned for future episodes and always remember, you are powerful over your health.